Uh, hey, welcome to Victory Church. If you are visiting with us today or you're watching online for the first time, I want to give just a couple of quick instructions before we jump into the word today. First is your ability to connect. We call it text to connect. Uh, it's your opportunity to not only let us know you were here or you're watching, but it's our opportunity to be able to connect with you and answer any questions you have. So it's coming up on the screen, but what you do is you, you text to the number. So in the number section, you put 31996, and then in the message section, you put uh, Victory 18. And what's going to happen is when you send that, it's going to send you this digital connection card. I'm going to also refer to this card at the end of the message. But it just sends with an uh, opportunity for you to put your information in there. It has some check boxes about dream team, about baptism, about salvation, all kinds of different things to where if you have any questions or you want to get involved in some way, there's also an other box that you can click and you can ask any question. And we get that. And then throughout the week, we try to reach out to you and connect and do our best at either answering your questions or moving you one step closer to getting connected and involved. I think every person and I got to find a better way to know that you guys agree with me than shaking your heads because that doesn't always work. But I think every person who comes to church wants to be connected. Am I right? Like, I think at some point, if you're visiting today, maybe you didn't walk in the door. Maybe you're like, whoa, slow down, buddy. Um, I know you don't want to get connected maybe right this second. But I think if you continue to come to church, it's because you want to get connected. You want to be involved. You want to be a part of it. You want to be used and be able to be a part and see God do something through you. You want to make friends. And so if that's you, if you've been coming for a while, or maybe you're one of those real crazy extroverts that on your first day you want to get involved, text that number so that we can reach out and connect with you. Second is our way to give. If you're visiting with us and say, hey, I'd like to give, whether it be of tithes or whether it be a one-time offering, and you say, how do I do that? Obviously, there, there are definitely the, the online ways. We have three ways to give here at Victory. You can certainly text to give. You can give on our website, our app, or as you leave, right outside in this little area, there'll be a little black box that you can drop any kind of check or cash in that way. We're trying to do our best during the season. We did used to pass you know, buckets or whatever it was, but we're trying to do our best at keeping you as safe as we can during the season and, and honoring and respecting where you're at during this pandemic. And so we want to do our best, whether it's text to connect or giving that way to keep it as contactless as possible during this time. Last but not least, if you are visiting with us, we are beginning, or we began a couple weeks ago, a series on the book of Acts. We're calling it Believe. What we like to do here is we like to preach through books of the Bible. So we preached through the book of John. It took us about 30 weeks. Uh, and then we broke for, you know, we had Easter and so on. And then we started this series in Acts, where we're actually in chapter two again today. I'll get to that in a moment. But with this series, there's something I really want to encourage you to do, and that is to take notes. So when you bring your Bible, bring a journal, bring a pen. Maybe you take notes on your phone. That's fine, too. I have friends who do that. They have all their notes on their phone. If you're faithful to do it, do it. But in case you are a phone person, on our app, you can actually find the notes to the message. So we have an app, Victory Church app, and on that is a note section, and it'll have all the notes for the message today, so it's a little bit easier to do it. However you do it, paper and pen, the app, on your own phone, whatever it is that you do, I just encourage you to take notes. And the reason for that is this, two things. Number one, there's a lot of things that I'm going to say today that you're going to go, man, that's good. I hope. If not, then don't come back next Sunday. Um, but you won't remember it by the time you get to your car. You'll have to pick your screaming kids up from V Kids. You'll have to decide whether it's Cracker Barrel or Charlie's. And then by the time you get home, you don't know what I said. Um, and so it's so good to take notes so that you can review it later. Also, if you ever get to a place where you want to share it with somebody else and teach them, you have those notes. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Amen? You with me, church? 
All right, Acts chapter two is where we're at. I know we were in Acts chapter two last week, but there are six verses at the very end of Acts chapter two that I felt needed their own day. We needed to devote our entire day to these six verses. So we, we went after Acts two, the first part yesterday or last week, and we talked about the power, the process, and the promise and dealing with the Holy Spirit and things like that and what God's called us to do. And then today we're gonna dive in these last six verses, starting at verse 42 to 47. So I'll read and then I'll start to break it down. Starting at verse 42, Acts chapter two. So if you open your Bible, it goes uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it'd be the fourth in the New Testament. It says they, they, talking about those that were following Christ, the Christians, the churchgoers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now we told you that a couple weeks ago that the apostles are the disciples. So they went from the disciples to the apostles because now they're being sent. So it says they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And as a result of those things, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do me a favor. Look at the person. If you got somebody with you, look at them. I want you to give them the title of my sermon. I want you to say, I've got commitment issues. Right? Just doing a little bit of marriage counseling right in the beginning here, dating counseling. We've, we've all got commitment issues, right? If we were just to be honest for a second, I think it's uh, pretty clear that in America today, we are struggling with the issue of commitment in a lot of different areas. For example, some of us uh, struggle to commit when it comes to relationships, right? We just, we just have that struggle to really go all the way and make it kind of a permanent thing. Some of us struggle in commitment when it comes to health. We, we want to be healthy. We want to be fit. fit but we have a struggle committing to something like that. Some of us have a struggle committing to a career. Um, people used to laugh at me. My dad used to laugh at me a lot when I was young because I, I had a matter, I don't know, about six or seven jobs in a matter of two months. I just would go to here. I remember I was working one job at a car wash, and on my break, I went over to the movie theater and filled out an application and got that job, went back, quit the car wash, and on the first day of working at the movie theater, they told me that I had to pop popcorn well, I had to wear a tie to work there. I had never worn a tie in my life. And now I'm wearing a tie to pop popcorn. And I knew that if my friends came in there and saw me wearing a tie, popping popcorn, that they would make fun of me. So I had been on the job for less than 30 minutes. And I told my supervisor, I left something in my car. I'll be right back. She said, okay, I never came back to that movie theater. <laughs> I got commitment issues. What can I say, right? It just is what it is. Uh, some of us even have commitment issues when it comes to faith. Like there, there's, there's a part where we want to be committed, but honestly, we just have a struggle doing it. But here's what I think is interesting, that in a day and age where our commitment issues are rising, our culture is actually adjusting itself to match our commitment issues. Our culture is not challenging us to get over those issues and become more committed. They're actually adjusting themselves to support the fact that you can't commit to anything. Let me show you what I mean. The reason why Netflix and all of these apps put their shows 
online where you can stream the whole season right there is because they know that you are not going to commit to watching that channel every Thursday night at 7. It's not going to happen. Y'all remember when we used to have to do that? Remember what it was like when you had to wait seven days to see episode two? Remember what it was like when you were talking to somebody and you were like, I can't do anything Thursday night. Why? Because so-and-so comes on at 7 p.m. I can't miss ER. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to see, I don't know, whatever his name was. Some, I was an ER person. Some of y'all are Grey's Anatomy. Some, y'all need Jesus. Uh, and then I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening nowadays in the medical world. Uh, 911, I think is what it is. I don't know. But, but y- y'all remember what I'm talking about? Like, like you had to be there at 7 p.m. to watch this show. None of you are showing up every week at 7 p.m. on a Thursday to watch a television show? You're not that committed. So they put all 13 episodes out so that you can watch them whenever you want to, all right? Think about Uber Eats and all that. They know you're not committed to going to restaurants because here's what you do. You tell your family, you're like, you know what? Let's go out and eat. Like, okay, let's do it. It's like, well, that means I got to put on pants. I got to brush my hair and my teeth. So, so I don't really want to commit. So let's just call and we'll get food delivered. Have y'all done this before? I know I'm new to this, but the first time we ever got Uber Eats, I thought I was a king. They brought pizza to my house. I had flip-flops on. It was the most crazy. It was incredible. It was amazing. The, the world is always adjusting to our issue with commitment. Relationships. They know you don't want to be committed. So now they got all these dating apps where all you got to do is swipe left or swipe up or swipe right, swipe down, whatever it might be, and then you can have a, a quick commitment. You don't have to get in a long-term courting relationship and get married because they realize that our culture today has commitment issues. And now, crazy, believe it or not, we're actually moving into a realm where it's the same with church and faith. I believe that the devil is actually using what we just went through in a season where multiple churches, including this church, were closed for a long period of time and strictly online. I understand that there are definitely people who are doing it for safety reasons, and that's fine. But I definitely believe that there are people who are doing it because they just have commitment issues. And it's now easy for them to just watch it online versus actually brushing their teeth and putting on clothes, right? I read one article that said this. I thought it was interesting. That when we have commitment issues, a part of us wants to be involved and another part of us wants to flee, This is why, think about this, there's a part of you that wants to be involved in things, and then there's a part of you that wants to flee from involvement. This is why you commit to things, and then you back out, right? Let me say it like this, you know, this is why I commit to things, and then I back out, because people start talking about doing something, and I want to be involved, and so I'm like, yeah, I'll go to eat dinner, I'll go, I'll go, I want to be involved, but when the day comes, I don't, I don't, I'm lazy, I don't want to be committed to that. So what do I do? I send a text message and say, I'm not feeling well. Right? Oh, I forgot something. How many, you ever had somebody do that to you? You ever had somebody say, I have a friend in this room who's the worst at this. I'm not going to put him on blast, Jamal. But he's a, he's a, what happens is he'll be like, hey, I'm coming to that event. And we'll be like, great. We actually got a saying going at this church that if Jamal says he's coming, he ain't coming. Don't even get a seat for him. He ain't showing up. Right? It's just one of those things where we want to be involved, but there's a part of us that wants to flee. Meanwhile, in Acts chapter 2, when Luke writes the word 
that he writes that we translate later into devoted. The word he writes means to persevere in. It means to continue in. It means to get past your commitment issues and stick to it. Watch this. This is going to be foreign even when you don't feel like it. Oh, boy. Here we go. Hope you brought your big boy pants today. I'm just preaching what the Bible says. Not my choice. But there's a part of us that doesn't want to be committed. We want to be involved. I want to be involved in the things of God, but there's another part of me that wants to flee. I want to be involved in what God's doing, but there's another part of me that wants to flee. And Luke says, listen, you need to be devoted. You need to be devoted. And that word devoted means to persevere even when you don't feel like it. The disciples of that day, the early church, they were so intentional in what they devoted themselves to. Now, before I even get into this message, I need to make you understand one thing real quick, is that you and I are definitely devoted to stuff, okay? If at any point you think that, that this doesn't include you or you're excluded, we all are devoted to stuff. Now, let me set the groundwork. Definitely, all of us have kind of those foundational devotions Obviously, you're devoted to God, you're devoted to your family, you're devoted to your job, right? There's just some things that we're all devoted to. But then once you get past some of those foundational things, it starts to kind of spread out depending on who you are. Some of us are devoted to sports. Some of us are not. Some of us are devoted to the gym. Some of us are not. Some of us are devoted to a certain television show. Some of us are not. Some of us are devoted to a hobby. Some of us are not. It just, it's all, some of us are, are, are devoted to, to video games. Some of us are devoted to computer games. Some of us don't even know how to use a computer, right? It's all, you know, we all have different devotions, but we are all, look at the person beside you and say, you are devoted to something. We're all devoted to something. But here's the catch, and this is so good. Every devotion involves demand. Every devotion that you have involves a demand from you, okay? Let me break it down. If you are devoted to your family, there are some things that they demand of you. If you're devoted to your marriage, there are some things that that marriage demands of you. If you are devoted to your job, then there are some things that that job demands of you. If you are devoted to the gym, there are some things that the gym demands of you. If you are devoted to that video game, there are some things that video game demands of you. If you are devoted to God, there are some things that God demands of you. Every devotion that you have demands something from you, okay? And because of that, because everything that you devote yourself to calls for something from you, it is evident that we as a society are overcommitted. We're overcommitted. And the reason for that is because you're a nice person and you really want to do everything for everybody, right? We're, we're, I, I did a sermon weeks ago, probably months ago, about goals and setting the goals and the pressure of that because we want to be here for our kids. We want to be here for our spouse and we got to do what our boss says. We want to be at church and we want to do this hobby and we got to think about ourselves. And we want to read that book and we want to meet that weight goal. And there's all of these devotions that all demand something from us. And because of it, we are all overcommitted. You're tired right now because you're overcommitted. You were overcommitted yesterday, you're overcommitted today. If you say this ever, which is everybody in this room, man, I just wish I had a day to do nothing. You ever said that? 
It's because you're overcommitted. So then here's the question that I want to set up that hopefully this message will answer, but if it doesn't answer, please answer it this week. This is why you need a journal, because you need to write this question down. You ready? What is our measuring scale by which we decide what commitments we keep and what commitments we let go? If you're overcommitted, and therefore you know the only answer to that is to remove some commitments, what measuring scale do you use to decide which commitments you keep and which commitments you release? So I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 2 what the early church committed themselves to. What these guys and girls committed themselves to turned the world upside down. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping by the time this message is over and by the time I share my heart with you, you'll walk out of here and you'll spend some time maybe tonight with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, with your mom, with your dad, with your kids, whatever it is, going, hey, let's readjust what we are devoting ourselves to. All right, here we go. The first thing that they devoted themselves to is they devoted themselves to church. The very first thing that the early believers devoted themselves to is to church church. I read a statistic the other day. I, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago. Um, before the pandemic hit, so before last, well, what was that? March, I think. Before last March, the average person, I'm not talking about the leader. I'm not talking about the, the involved volunteer. The average person attended church twice a month, okay? Since the pandemic, since churches have opened back up, the average person attends church once a month. That's 12 times a year that they attend church. Isn't that crazy? Meanwhile, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, they devoted, persevered, continued themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. All right, let me break this down. First of all, let's talk about the apostles' teaching. In that day, the people that we're talking about had the Old Testament. Okay? They had the Hebrew Bible. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. They had the Psalms. They had the Proverbs. They, they had the prophets. They had this literature. What they did not have was the New Testament. They did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Acts, Corinthians, Ephesians. They didn't have that. Matter of fact, they're living it as we're reading it, okay? So what they would do is they would devote themselves to going to church, and one of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, whoever it might be, would get up and would teach what they wrote in the New Testament. So when you come to church and I get up and preach to you the book of John, that's exactly what they were experiencing then, except he wasn't reading from a book. He was telling them, this is what happened. So they devoted themselves to coming to church and sitting down and hearing the apostles teach about Jesus. They had all of the Old Testament. They had all of the Old Covenant. They had all of the Old Laws. But there was this guy that showed up claiming to be the Son of God, he did all of these great miracles. He said all of these new covenants, and then he died, and then he rose again. Teach me about him. I want to know what he said. I want to know what he did. I want to know what I got to do to be like him. They could not wait to gather and learn about Jesus. What has happened to that irresistibility to where we can't wait to gather and learn about Jesus. I love that even though these new converts had experienced many miracles, they did not minimize the importance of theology. 
I hear people say this all the time. Man, if God would just do this, then I would get committed or then, right? If God would just do, it was always, and this happens in scripture all the time in the New Testament. People would say, God, would you just do this miracle for us? Yet what Jesus knew and said then is true today is, watch this, no matter how many miracles he does for you, the miracle wears off. No matter how many good things he does for you, that wears off. The strength is in you learning about who God is, what he said, and how to apply it to your life. These folks saw miracles every day, and yet they never minimized the education of God. They never said, hey, I've seen miracles. I'm good. They never said that. They never said, I've seen him heal him. I'm good. I believe in God. They said, I see that miracle. That's awesome, but I still want to arrive and learn more about him because if he's going to shape and change my life, I need to know all that I can possibly know. The church, not just Victory Church, but the, any church you go to, you've passed many of them just driving down the street. The church itself is multipurpose. You can meet your spouse at church. I did. Um, somebody said, oh, <laughs> Okay. Um, you could have your kids dedicated at church. I did. You could find your career at church. I did. I'll talk about that later towards the end. Um, you, you could meet the pastor that's going to officiate your wedding at church. You could find a friend group at church. You could, um, you know, end up being called to the mission field in church. You could learn to serve in church. You could end up using your gifts and natural talents to glorify God in church. Church has multi-purposes, multi. They're all great, but it has two primary purposes. The number one purpose is this, is to teach you about God. It's to teach you the scriptures so that when you came in today and you leave, you feel like you know a little bit more about God than you did when you came in, okay? Number two is it's to provide an opportunity for fellowship. Now listen, depending on how, how much you've grown up in church, you have had that word abused to you because you think anywhere that you show up with a bowl of mac and cheese, it's considered fellowship. It's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about we got together, we played video games together, we had fellowship. No, it's not what that, you had friendship. That's one thing. Fellowship, if you look at the actual original word, is defined as you getting together and talking about what you've learned about God. So fellowship is not just getting together, it's you getting together and talking about your relationship with God. It's really discipleship, Okay. So the church is dedicated, it should be, the primary purpose is two things, for you to come and learn about the Bible, and then for you to have an opportunity to get with a group of people and talk about what you've learned. Isn't that incredible? It's not about you having productions. If you have productions, great. But that's not the primary purpose of church. It's not about egg hunts. If you have egg hunts, we did, great. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is for you to come and learn about God and then have an opportunity to talk to other people about what you learned about God. During the pandemic, I've shared some of this, um, with, with the world going crazy, and it's still going crazy, but in a moment where we could not gather, and I felt like I was having a hard time pastoring you because I could never see you, uh, I really struggled, and I started praying. I said, God, I need, to disciple, I need to disciple my church. That's what I kept praying. I need to disciple my church. How do I do it? Do I do a video series? And I just felt God tell me, clear as day, start it from behind the pulpit. Now, pulpit is a word. Normally, there's a, I don't preach with a pulpit, but normally there's a, in other words, on Sunday morning, teach from Sunday morning. So that's when we started the John series. It was somewhere in the end of 2020. I just said, we're going to start with the book of John. We opened up John chapter one, and we just started reading. And God has done some phenomenal things in the process. 
But in the process, when I really felt like God was telling me to move to an expository type preaching, which means we preach through the Bible versus a topical preaching where you go, hey, we're gonna preach about anger or we're gonna preach about offense. No, we're more expository, which means we're gonna go Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 3, and we're gonna do whatever the Bible says. We're just gonna talk about it. When I had God really confirming that to me, it was right towards the end of the year. I think it was like December 30th, maybe 29th. And I jumped on Facebook and I follow a bunch of pastor friends. Um, some of them, they know me, were friends. Some of them, they wouldn't know me if I sat near them on a table. They, they pastor big churches or whatever it might be. But they all were promoting their, their new series for the upcoming year, 2021. And they were series like this. How, four ways to be a good leader in 2021. How to conquer the new year. You know, it was, it was all these kind of sermons about you being a better you and you coming into the new year and, and having, being a great leader. And I sat there for a minute and I just got personally kind of convicted and angry and thought, you know what? That's not what this stage is for. There's plenty of books for you to go read about being a great leader. I have all of them. Go read them. The purpose of this stage is for me to open the Bible in front of you and say, hey, this is what it means. It's for you to come in and learn about the scriptures, learn about God. And then when you walk out, you should know more about God than you did when you came in. That's the purpose here. Obviously, we have different, you know, I'm working on a series about prayer. There are moments for that. But by the time a year ends, I want you to say we spent more Sundays just studying the scriptures than we did addressing my feelings. It wasn't about me being a better me. It was about me learning more about God, which would result in me being a better me. Right? We don't need all of these how-to books. You got the ultimate one. And if we learn it and actually apply it all, guess what? The best thing for your marriage is to learn the Bible. The best thing for your parenting skills is to learn the Bible. The best thing for you to get healthy in nine days is to read the Bible. It's the best thing. And so it's my responsibility, and I apologize if I ever didn't do this, and I'll never go away from it, is to spend the 45 minutes I get with you teaching you the Bible. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is what it meant in Hebrew. It's what it meant in Greek. It's what happened there. Now take it and do whatever you want to with it. I can't make you be excited about coming to church. I can't have you know, Jeff up here with a mohawk in a clown costume dancing so that you hope it's better next week. I just preach the gospel. This is what the scripture says. And eventually, I promise you, God will grip your heart and you'll find yourself devoting yourself to church. Not because the atmosphere was great, not because we have an LED screen, but because you learned about God. Whew. In a time where there is a growing call for less teaching or no teaching at all, we have to make sure that we're devoted to the word of God more than the word of culture. I think a lot of our problems right now is we've become more dedicated to the word of culture than we have the word of God. Every answer you need to every question is in the scripture. It really is. But you have to dig for it. I think one of the things I'm going to talk about next week is when people tell you or they ask you, what's your stance on this? I think I'm learning I don't have a stance. God does. I don't have the authority to have a stance. God has a stance. And this is where I stand. God. <laughs> I thought about this old country saying, you know, you need, you need to get off the Facebook and put your face in the book. You know what I mean? 
Like, we got to get away from this word of culture. I get it, by all means. I mean, I'm on Facebook, guys. I'm not telling you to become a, a hermit crab or whatever. I'm not telling you to go become a nun. Do your thing, but listen to me. If you are, in, if you are taking in more of the word of culture than you are the word of God, then you will never be devoted to the things of God. You'll be devoted to the things of this world. And I'm just telling you right now, it's unhealthy. Being devoted to the word of God doesn't mean that you'll always desire the word. It means you'll read it even when you don't feel like you want to. I, let me go ahead and break a myth for you. I'm a myth buster up here. Just because you love God doesn't mean you wake up and float into your quiet time space and are so excited to open the Bible because you're holy. You can love God and not have any interest in reading the Bible. You can. You say, whoa, whoa, that sounds very, you know, listen, because we are in a world of flesh. So when you watch Netflix at 10 o'clock at night and you stay up till midnight and then all of a sudden the alarm goes off at six, your flesh overpowers the spirit in you that wants and yearns for the word, right? So again, when we devote ourselves to the word of God, when we devote ourselves to church, it's you moving towards it even when you don't feel like it. When I was pastoring in Memphis, I never forget, people used to come up to us all the time and say, Pastor, I'm so glad I came to church today. This is what they would say. They would say, when I woke up this morning, I didn't feel like coming. Anybody this morning you woke up, you didn't feel like coming to church today? Anybody? All right. Wow, I've got a room full of some holy folks in here. Okay. Y'all better not miss a Sunday for the rest of the year. I'm showing up at your house with a post-it note. But people would say, like, I, I didn't feel like coming to church. They would say this, but I'm sure glad I did. Because, listen, when you wake up, you're not always going to feel like it. Right? So devotion to church and devotion to fellowship and devotion to the word is you doing it even though you don't feel like doing it. I've read so many studies. Harvard did a study. Duke did a study. And they're all studies about how a human being is better off when they attend church. Harvard study talked about mental health and said that when Americans, and talked a lot about Americans, but when Americans attend church, they are healthier mentally. Duke it was a study more about heart condition and blood pressure and how all of those things were better when we attended church. Barna did a research uh, during the pandemic that said those who attended church in the middle of the pandemic were, were more hopeful and more uh, positive about life. Going to church is healthy for you. And so you wouldn't, it, it would make sense that the enemy doesn't want you to go. He doesn't want you to learn about God. He doesn't want you to fellowship with people. So he does everything he can to keep you away, but you have to be devoted to it, devoted to go. The new believers in Acts needed instruction, and so do we. They had the Holy Spirit. They had the resurrected Christ. They had all, but they needed instruction, and so do you, and so do I. Similar to us, I love this statement, the miracles that they had seen could only last so long. They needed to hear and they needed to know about what Christ had done for them and what he demanded of them so they could grow. The miracles of God for you can only last so long. You'll hear people get on fire for God. Oh, God answered my prayer. I got the job. Oh, I'm going to be at church every Sunday. And in that moment, they meant it but the miracle can only last so long. 
I would be at altar calls with teenagers and young adults, and they'd be looking me in the eye, tears coming down their face, and they'd say, Pastor Troy, what do you want? I'm gonna come here every week. I'm gonna get here three hours early. I'm gonna go to the prayer room. I'm gonna set up chairs. What do you need? And I had learned to say this. I don't need anything. Just come to church. The reason I said it is because they never came. Never. They never showed up because they were in all of their feelings in that moment because God had done something miraculous in their life that only lasts so long. If you want to know what I mean, talk to someone who's been married for a long time and ask them how much attraction is keeping their marriage healthy. Miracles only keep you so long. It's you knowing what God demands of you and what God has said to you that keeps you passionate about him and keeps you growing. So you have to devote yourself to church and to fellowship. Amen? Number two, they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42 said they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Praying. I know a lot of us struggle with wondering what God's will is for our life. A lot of us are constantly in that battle of what God wants to happen in our life. There's one thing that you and I can be completely confident of, and it's that God wants us to pray to him. We can be completely confident of that. Now, I preached a sermon series a while back on exactly how you could do that. I broke it down from the, uh, from the Lord's Prayer on how you could actually pray. I encourage you to go look into that and do it. I just think it's awesome that these disciples had devoted themselves to prayer. But being devoted to prayer, just like going to church, listen, being devoted to prayer means that we don't find ourselves praying by mere chance. You being devoted to prayer does not mean you pray when you feel like praying. It means you set aside a time daily to make prayer a part of your regular life. If your goal right now is to pray to God when you feel like praying, you're not going to pray a lot. You'll pray when your life is turning upside down. But devoted to prayer is someone who says, I'm going to pray at this time, this day, every day, whether hell's breaking loose or not. This is something, if, if you've been at our church for any length of time, you know this is the message that I will die with, is that you have to have a daily prayer time with God. That is what I'm most passionate about. If you've been here, you know I go to the gym every morning, and I walk, and I pray in the morning, and then I go work out. It's my lifeline for me. I tell our leadership, don't you dare try to lead this church without having a daily time with the Lord. If you do, you're going to end up mad, you're going to end up offended, you're going to end up angry, and you're going to run away because you cannot do the things of God without spending time with him. You can't even do the things of you without spending time with him. You have got to set aside time to spend with the, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Spend, spend this amount of time reading the Bible. Spend this amount of time praying. I don't care if you spend the opposite. I don't care if it's at night. I don't care if it's in the morning. I don't care if it's midday. I don't care if you read that book. You read this book. I don't care if you're in Acts. I don't care if you're in John. I don't care if you sit there silently. If you talk the whole time, I don't care if you're happy on your knees, light a candle, don't light a candle, put on incense. It doesn't matter. God could care less about the process of how you do it. Just show up. Just show up. When I was teaching the discipleship class, I talked about the aspect that God has, we are literally able to go to Jesus in prayer 24-7. He's always sitting at the table waiting for you. But how often do you show up? Hear me. We have to be willing to make prayer a necessity, not an option. 
If prayer is an option in your life, I'm promising you right now, your, your life is going to be difficult. When Darla and I sat down for marriage counseling with a couple, the very first question I asked them is, how much time do you spend in prayer during the day? Because if you don't have a daily time with the Lord, we're wasting our time here. Because any principles that I can tell you about marriage are irrelevant if you're not talking to God on a daily basis. Because listen to me, ladies, you're going to need to talk to God every day to be able to live with your husband. <laughs> Thought I'd get more amens than that. I'll switch it around. Yeah, that's what you I'll give it. Guys, you're going to need to talk to God every day to be able to live with your wife. says the guy who's not here with a wife at this current moment. But I just say, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Anytime we sit down to counsel any couple, financial counseling, how much time do you spend in prayer? Well, we're here to talk about money. Oh, believe me, it matters. Anything. We have to pray daily for our family. We have to pray daily for our schedule. Every day I pray for my schedule and what I'm doing today. We have to pray for our friends Listen to this. You have to pray for your church. I pray for you. Pray for me. You have to pray for victory. You have to pray for people. Six people got baptized last week. We have to pray for them, right? You have to pray. And when you do, you will begin to see, this is so powerful, that time spent praying is invested time, not wasted time. Time that you spend praying is invested time. Listen, and, I, and my wife, walked, I don't know where she went, but she would testify to this. There have been more miracles done in my marriage because I went to pray than there have done because I went and read a book or sat in front of a counselor. It's because I went to pray and she went to pray. I didn't know she was praying, but she would pray these prayers. God, I know he's listening to you right now. Fix him. It's not really how she would say it, but it would work that way. Uh, oh. <laughs> She is here. <laughs> She's in the back. A little sneaker. But I'm telling you, it becomes invested time. We were out of town. We were with some friends. And another one of our friends was watching our girls. And we got this cool text. And it was a picture. I think I have it where you can see it. Let's see. It. Look at this. I don't know if y'all can see it. Those of you watching online. It's my youngest, Casey Ray. And she's sitting on our back porch on the swing. And she's reading her Bible. She's doing a devotion. We're not there. Nobody pressured her to do this. She decided to go do this. So we're just, as you can imagine, as parents, you're boo-hoo, crying. Like, first of all, thank you to our friend that took that picture. I'm not going to blast her name out there, but thank you. Um, but we're out of town with some other friends, and one of our friends looked at me and said, looked at Darla and I and said, you know why she's doing that, right? We were like, no, why? She said, because she's seen you do it. I, I about cried right there. It's invested time. What if I told you that you spending daily time with God isn't even about you? but the generations after you, right? The disciples learned that Jesus' secret to the effectiveness of his life and his ministry was daily prayer. And so they devoted themselves to it as well. Now, I read a book recently, and I want to give you, those of you that maybe you're in here and you say, I really do want to do a quiet time, but I struggle with it. I want to give you a little bit of help that I read in a book that was life-changing for me. Uh, the author called it Habit Stacking. The concept is this, that when you have something you don't want to do or you struggle to do, you stack it with something that you don't struggle to do so that you'll do it frequently together. So I'm going to give you a, a good example because I do it. Uh, when I first, I, I always wanted to get up early and have a quiet time, but I would get up and fall asleep in the living room, right? I mean, you know, trying to read the Bible. 
And so I liked to go to the gym because it would wake me up. So here's what I started doing is I started waking up early, taking my pre-workout, and I'd go to the gym. I'd work out for an hour, and then after that, I would go pray because now I was awake. I was ready to pray. And what I found out, watch this, is as time went on, there'd be days where I didn't want to pray, but I wanted to work out. And so I'd do it. And by the time I got there and worked out, I was ready to pray. And then there were days where I didn't want to work out, but I wanted to pray. And I would get there, and after I was done praying, I'd be ready to work out. It's a principle. I didn't even know it was a, I didn't know it was a thing. It's called habit stacking. Something that you love to do, tag it with something that you find difficult to do. For example, spending daily time in prayer, and you'll be faithful to do it. And there's days that you won't want to do this, but this will help you do it. And there'll be days that you don't want to do this, but this will help you do it. I'm just trying to give you practical ways. I know you've heard sermons before about having a daily prayer time, but I'm trying to set you up that when you walk out this door tomorrow, it actually begins. Because if there's anything I could tell you, if you said, give me one thing and we'll never see you again, I would say that a daily prayer time with God will absolutely change your life. But you gotta devote yourself to it. Number three is devote to generosity. Thought about using the word giving or generosity, either one. Generosity obviously means happy to give. But Acts chapter two, verse 45 said they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So when it talks about them being in common, doesn't mean that they shared the same football team. What it means is that they all gave what they had up to whoever needed it. So they either sold their properties or they made their properties available. And it was, hey, whatever you need so that we can all be on an equal level. If you need something, you got it. Hear me. The gospel was certainly one of the reasons why the message of Christ spread across the world and was so impactful. The second reason, obviously the resurrection, the second reason was that they were so selfless. They were so ready to give of themselves to be able to give to somebody else that people had never seen it before. Our goal in life has never been to live on earth forever. It's not your goal, but it should be our goal to leave something behind that does. You should want to leave something here that does live forever. What if success in life is determined by what you're willing to give up? Darla, a few years ago when we first moved here, took our oldest, Veda, to a Christian concert. I might have been casting crowns, I'm not really sure. They went to a concert. And during, if you've ever been to a Christian concert, they always bring out somebody midway that, that promotes the ministries that allow you to help feed kids in different countries. And so they brought somebody out and Veda, she probably was, I don't know, eight maybe at the time, looked to Darla and said, Mama, can we do it? She was so moved by it, obviously being that age and seeing that and imagining that somebody her age, which is a whole other sermon, that she sees sympathy in somebody who's like her, whose needs, that's how we should operate. If someone who's like you is in need, you should be moved by it, right? So then she looks to my wife and she says, can we do it? And at the time, we just couldn't afford it. We had just moved here. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't have a lot of money. And so my wife told her, she said, we can't do it right now. She said, but I promise you, when we get to a place financially that we can, we will. So a couple of years later, it was about a year and a half ago now, we were at a place financially where we could do it. And so we called Katie Carter, a friend of ours that we support, who's a missionary in Costa Rica. We called her and we said, hey, this is what we're wanting to do. Is there a girl that is in Costa Rica that we can support so that we can have a better relationship with her so that when we come to minister in Costa Rica, Veda could even meet her. And she said, of course. And so she sent us all the information and we started supporting her and she started sending letters and pictures and Veda would sit down and be able to see it. And it was so important to me that my daughter understood that our money is not just so that we can have a car and a TV and roller skates, but everything that God gives us is so that we can help other people have, Right? What if success is my kids seeing what I'm willing to give up? Maybe I don't need a bigger television, right? 
Maybe we can minister to a young girl in Costa Rica. Like, I just, it's just getting our mind to a place of legacy is what I want to do. Get us to a place of legacy. Everyone wants to leave a legacy. What's a legacy? Something that people remember after you're gone. We all want to leave something that people remember after we're gone. But what we usually do for us dies with us. And what we do for others lives beyond us. So let me give you another practical step for this. Two things. Number one, Darla and I give personally, we give towards Katie Carter, we give towards this young girl in Costa Rica. We actually have a mission, a goal for us personally. We want to get to a place where we're at financially where we can just randomly bless people, just randomly be able to bless people that we know and love on them. We just believe in that gift. But we also give money to Victory Church. And if you give money to Victory Church, I want to share just real quick what you're doing and what's happening with that money because there's multiple organizations that are being blessed because this church gives. When we moved here, two things we decided as a church. This is your church. Listen, this is so powerful. Number one, we decided that we were not going to start all kinds of new stuff. We were going to find people who were doing it well and we were going to support them in doing it. That was our first thing. Number two, we decided as a church that we were going to tithe. Say, what does that mean? 10% of all of the money that we expect to come in. So at the beginning of the year, we set a budget. This is the money we expect to come in. We take 10% of that and we give it to those in need. Okay, right off the bat, 10% of it. So I'll give you an example. We give towards both food banks here in Smyrna, Nourish Food Bank, Second Harvest Food Bank. We, give both, we support both of them financially. We support a ministry called Empowerment Incorporated from Janelle Douglas Leeds. It's a nonprofit, and she does tutoring and TCAP prep for uh, local schools in Laverne and Antioch. We support them financially. We support a ministry called Scott Hordes Ministries financially. What he does is he goes into families that are contemplating abortion, and he gives them another avenue and says, if you want, we can help support you. We can either adopt the baby. Powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, we obviously support Katie Carter in Costa Rica, the Bartholos in Thailand. We support Convoy of Hope financially. Convoy of Hope is where we gave all the water filters all across the world last year. Uh, we also help with feeding you know, hungry kids, and we also help with, um, uh, what did we just do? We just sent money to Texas for disaster relief. These are just a few things that we do. We do so many things in the community. I'm on two boards here in the community. Uh, one of the boards that I'm on, I'm over the outreach committee where we are putting together a database where if anybody in our community needs something, they can go to that database and whatever that need is, we'll link them to the organization that'll give it to them. I'm just telling you that we are passionate about giving here. We just recently put a couple over the outreach directing leadership so they could focus on all of that so that we could be so involved in the community because we want to leave a legacy. It's not just about Victory Church, and it's not just about you. It's about helping those that are in need, but when you give to Victory Church, that's what happens. So I encourage you to not only do that, but even check yourself and say, what can I do Personally, I had two friends who during Christmas, they were blessed financially. They said, we just want to surprise. And so they were just giving money to people, just kind of surprising them with gifts because God has taught us that it's better to give than to receive. And I believe, like us, the church is its greatest when it's at its emptiest. When it's poured out, it's at its greatest. Last, I know I'm, I'm hurrying up, sorry. Last is that they were devoted to small groups. They were devoted to gathering together. Acts 2, 42, 44 says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and believers were together and they had everything in common. The early church literally said that you can go to a Mexican restaurant and eat white cheese dip together. It's <laughs> literally what they said. There, to this day, listen, it's important for you to be a part of a big group. It's important for you to be a big part of a small group. There is nothing to this day, as times have changed, there is still nothing that replaces the power of a shared meal. A regular rhythm of stopping, facing each other, conversing, 
and sharing our common need, which was hunger, and our common provider, which is God. When we were youth pastors, every Wednesday night, we'd go to this restaurant. Every Wednesday night, it was just known. We would show up at this Applebee's. They had half-off appetizers. We were all broke. It's one of the reasons we went. And they would set aside this side room for us. They reserved the room. There'd be 30, 40 of us would pile in there, teenagers, young adults, leadership. Darla and I would come. For a season, we brought Veda as a baby. We would just go and show up. We'd spend hours in there. And it was so powerful to me, and it was good for me because I had poured myself out, and then I got to go set, and every night we'd sit by a different group of people and get to know them. One of the things that was really cool about it is, as, and we actually were going to Old Charlie's for a season before Applebee's, and this is pretty cool. We did both of those for, for years. We were able to share the gospel with our waitress because we always had the same waitress. We got them birthday presents. Darla had their phone numbers. She talked to them, counseled them through multiple things because we gathered in a small group. We did the big group, and then we went and gathered in the small group. Can I tell you something, please? Isolation is from the devil. It's from the devil. And what we just went through for the past 12 to 14 months is isolation. And it's from the devil. And he knows that that part of it is about to end. So here comes racism and politics. Not that racism and politics are new, it's not what I'm saying. But they're definitely tools of the enemy to keep us isolated away from each other. Because he understands that when we're together, something powerful. We can be together in a big group, yes, but when you start fellowshipping in a small group together, it's powerful and it's life-changing. And if he can keep you worried about what you believe and you believe and I'm different and you're different and da 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 and he can isolate us, then he takes away a vital part of ministry. Everything about the church was against isolation. Your witness, witness will enhance your witness. When we closed as a church, in case you're here and you didn't know this, we closed for almost, I think, 10 months, 11 months as a church. We were just online. First of all, church, you were so faithful during that season. I'm so thankful for you. Thankful to Bree and Jeff and Andrew and Erica, who every week put out a phenomenal uh, online service. But I would talk to people in the church every week, and they would say this, Pastor, this, the services are great. It's just not the same. Right? because you were isolated. The worship was great. The message was okay. But you were isolated. And God created you for community. So now you're yearning to be together and the enemy is still picking on things to try to keep you apart. So Acts 2 shows this big meeting and then it shows a small meeting. It shows a temple and then it shows a house. One is where you listen to the word, and one is where you apply it. One is where the preacher has something to say, and one is where you do. In the big room, you come and listen. In the small room, you go and apply it. In the big room, you take what you heard, and you speak it, and you fellowship, and lives are changed. The entire world changed, y'all, because the followers of Christ made sure to devote themselves to four things, going to church, praying, giving and gathering together. The church devoted itself to these four things and God grew the church. It's a culture of people, watch this, from different races and regions, past, who are working past their differences, their prejudices and their antipathies, working past them, coming together to share their food, their funds, their prayers 
and their homes. Can I tell you what bothers me real quick? And then I, I promise I'll get off the stage. What bothers me right now is I feel like the church has to get up and perform and talk the people of the church into doing these four things. Churches will get up and be like, we have small group weekend. Got to get in a small group. Let's do a whole series on giving, right? We're going to have a prayer meeting and three people show up. And now we're even in a place where everybody's fighting to figure out how to get people to actually come to church. And the reason why, it doesn't make me mad because I'm a pastor. It makes me mad because clearly in scripture, these are the four things that if we devote ourselves to, our lives are changed. And the enemy is so good at getting us to a point now where we will come to church, but we will have to be convinced to do the four things that matter. As I was praying about this, I assume this would be your response. Not that you're mean, but you're, you're realistic. Here's what I thought your response would be. It's easy for you to say, Troy, you're a pastor. Of course you want us to come to church. Of course you want us to pray. Of course you want us to go to small groups. Of course you want us to give, right? You're a pastor. It's fair, but let me tell you this. I am a pastor because of those four things. I did those four things before I was ever a pastor. I devoted myself to church long before I was going to be a pastor. Matter of fact, nobody would have even believed you'd even let me on stage. I devoted myself to church. I devoted myself to groups long before I became a pastor. I devoted myself to giving long before I became a pastor. I devoted my, I would be in prayer meetings and I would fall asleep and I'd have my head on the pew and I'd realize everybody was gone and I'd wake up and have the red mark on my forehead and everybody was gone. I didn't know what I was doing, but I devoted myself to prayer long before I was a pastor. I'm not asking you to do this because I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, it was because I devoted my life to these things that I decided I wanted to be a pastor. Why? So that you would give me 45 minutes of your time to stand up and go, listen to me, please. These four things will change your life. But they are not going to change your life if you choose to do them by chance or whenever you feel like it. They'll change your life when you devote yourself to them. So my challenge to you is this. Where in those are you devoted? And where in those do you need to be devoted? Real quick recap, I'll pray. You devote yourself to church. We're doing our best to provide a place for you right now where you can come and hear the word of God, where you can fellowship. Devote yourself to prayer. I'm telling you right now, start deciding a time daily where you can pray. Devote yourself to giving. You can give, whether it's physically and serving, whether it's financial, you can give right here at Victory. And then groups. You say, well, what about groups? Look, we had groups going before the pandemic. They were phenomenal. My circle was amazing. We call them circles. They're not quite ready to open back up yet. We're working on that. But we do have a couple different angles. You can be in our discipleship class. We just graduated. We'll start again in the fall. Or you can serve. Our V Kids group, they're having a cookout this weekend. Our, our dream teams went to the movies together a couple months ago. Our worship team's getting ready to record another album. Woo, woo! So the areas that you serve in give you the opportunity to gather. It's available to you, church. You just got to make the decision to devote yourself to it.
And I'm telling you, the early church showed us if you do this, not only will your life be changed, but the world will be changed. Father, I love you and I thank you. So thankful for your word. So thankful that what you said then is still applicable today. That every person that's in this room, it's those things that if we will devote ourselves to them, if we'll devote ourselves to the word of God, coming and hearing the word and applying it to our lives, if we'll devote ourselves to prayer, if we'll devote ourselves to giving of ourselves, whether it's financial, whether it's serving, just giving up what we have so that those that are in need can have. If we'll give ourselves to gathering together in small groups, your hand, your favor will be on that. And not only will we be changed and our marriages will be strengthened and our relationships will be strengthened and our finances will be strengthened, but Father, ultimately the world will be changed. And my prayer right now is to everybody in this room, everybody who's watching online, just speak to their heart like only you can do. Challenge them. Show them the areas in their life where they need to be more devoted, that they'd be committed to do that. That they'd be excited to grow in those areas and they would believe that their lives could be changed by their commitment. Lord, don't allow us to use the excuse that we have commitment issues, but challenge our commitment issues and move us to a place of devotion. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.